0: God in uh, some of the scenarios that we see in the scriptures. And this is an amazing encounter here that we read about in Luke chapter 7 uh, when Jesus was invited to a dinner at the home of one of the Pharisees, starting with verse 36. When one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. that she is a sinner. Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. Two people owed money to a certain money lender. One owed him 500 denarii the other, and the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he forgave the debts of both. Now, which of them will love him more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. Her many sins are forgiven, as her great love has shown. But whoever has been forgiven little, loves little. Then Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. The other guests began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? And Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for this beautiful day that we have today. Thank you for the opportunity we have to come together and to worship you, to pray to you, to gather with others who either already believe in Jesus as their Savior and Lord, or those who are seeking to find him and who are asking questions. I pray that you'll draw us together to focus on Jesus and to keep learning from Jesus. Learning not only about moments in the past, but learning how we are to respond to people in the midst of our time and our day and the challenges that are all around us. So make us wise. Give us the ability to look closely at scripture and draw out insights that are faithful to the text and that are also instructive for how we are to respond to the various challenges around us today. Lord, we pray that you will be at work, and we know that there are times when we pray even when we don't feel like praying, and the act of prayer, when it is aligned with your will, unleashes your power, power that you have longed to unleash into this world in order to accomplish your will. We long to see you bring peace in our world, and so we we pray all around the world this morning. We pray for the ability for people who are on the right and the left to be able to talk to each other without disdain and disgust. We pray for our political leaders, that they will make wise decisions, that they will be bold and have courage where they need to, that you also give them restraint where it's time to hold back. We pray for uh, the world around us where there's great strife in, in Ukraine, and we pray that there would be an end, a cessation of that particular kind of destruction, and an ability to, to make sense of, of the chaos that's going on in that part of the world. We pray for those who are hurting this morning and struggling with finances and rising costs and wondering how the paycheck will meet all the needs. We pray that you will grant wisdom to be able to stretch uh, the paycheck longer. And Lord, we also pray that you will heal those who are challenged. We, we read that there are so many people day by day who seem to... Uh, Keep getting this virus that seems to have no end. And we pray that you'd give us the resilience that we need, the patience that we need, the resolve that we need to keep moving through this time, to not cut ourselves off from people, but to be wise about how we conduct ourselves and how we maintain health. Lord, we pray for us as a church that you will give us influence in the hearts of our neighbors and our friends and our family members. We, we pray that you would give us sensitivity to know how to present the truths that underhold under, uh, the, the hope that we have, that you will give us the ability to love people where they're at and also to reflect to them uh, the reasons that we have hope in Jesus. Guide us this morning in this service that we have together. Hear our prayers when we pray, to receive our worship when we sing. And also we ask that you will fill our minds with truth as we look into your word. Do that now, in Jesus' name, amen. One night a few years ago, Sue, my my wife, and I went out for an anniversary dinner. We picked a nice restaurant with a courtyard seating that overlooked the harbor in Plymouth. Now, I had been to this particular place once before for lunch with a friend, and and I thought in advance that this would be a nice place for a romantic, somewhat expensive dinner at sunset. As we were seated, we noticed that there was a couple who were friends of ours from North River who were already there having dinner, so we walked by their table to say hello. I don't remember what was said, but I was warm and friendly, and they were nearing the end of their dinner, and our table was ready, so... We ended the conversation, and we took our seats. Most likely, we enjoyed some really good seafood that night. But truthfully, I don't remember what we ate. I don't remember what we drank. What made this dinner stand out was that when, when I asked for the bill, the waitress said that the man that we had greeted on the way in had requested that our dinner be added to his bill. No credit card was needed. No tip was to be left. They had picked up the bill, assumed the cost, and quietly left to go home. Well, this had not happened to us before. This was unique. Oh, we'd been on the receiving end of gifts from people before, but this was, there was something about this particular time that made that very memorable. Part of it was that we never saw this coming. In fact, the other couple left before they could even have known what the full cost was. I wondered how they pulled that off. They must have trusted the waitress to run their card even before the bill was final in terms of what we had ordered and what we would consume. Now, I bring that story up this morning because we're going to talk about another meal that was marked by a memorable set of actions that are still talked about today while no one remembers anything about the food that hit the table or what was part of that meal itself. At that meal, Jesus' mission to transform our understanding of forgiveness was revealed. Our topic this morning is forgiving like Jesus. This message is part of the series that we began just before Easter that we're calling Only God. In this series, we're looking at events that can can only be explained or understood through the direct intervention of God into human affairs. So welcome to Sunday morning at North River. I'm really glad that you're here today on this beautiful morning. Welcome to all of you, first of all, who are here in our Pembroke Worship Center. I, I hope that we can all make you feel at home here today. If you can stay for a cup of coffee and some conversation, I look forward to meeting you today. Let me especially welcome those of you who are watching online. I keep hearing from friends who are watching from the convenience of their home, or they're watching for some place where they're traveling, or they're living in another state, and you are a part of all this through this online tool that we have. So let me, let me thank you. Thank you for those that you are inviting. I keep hearing about friends and family members who've never even been to our church building, but they watch us every week online. Let me say some special thank yous to Jane and Paul, to George and Sylvia, and Mark and Catherine, who all let me know during the last week from places farther away that they were watching online and they were showing up with their questions about the message. As one church in multiple locations We have to be deliberate about some of this in order to stay connected. So our staff and I have been trying to find best ways for us to do this, to help people stay connected. So if you're watching online this morning, or if you're new to North River and here in the room today, I have a request. The request is take out your cell phone, first of all. I'm not going to ask you to turn it on. I want you to use it. Uh... I want you to, to text the word hello. Amy mentioned this a moment ago, but we're going to let this linger, hopefully, up on the screen behind me, to this number, 781-827-8765. Just text the word hello. What will happen is you will get a response from us uh, probably by tomorrow, and then we be- can begin the conversation. You don't have to do anything more than that. Just begin the conversation with a hello, and that sets you into uh, a bunch of um, communication opportunities. You can turn that off as soon as you want to if you you don't want to have contact with us, but we'd like to begin the conversation and make that as easy as possible to get started. If you don't use the text function on your phone, take a moment to fill out a connection card at the welcome desk as you leave the service uh, this morning, or you can download the My North River app, hit connect, and then I'm new, and that will lead you to a way to respond and let us know who you are and that you're with us and let us follow up with you. Here's the question for this morning that I have. What happens when Jesus completely blows up your understanding of what faith is all about? I don't know if you've read through the Gospels lately, but there are a number of snapshots in the Gospels where it seems very clear that somebody in the midst of the conversation has had a very clear understanding, at least in their own minds, of what faith is about, what God is about, and what happens when Jesus completely explodes that because that understanding was actually built on a shallow foundation. Well, that's what happens with Simon, the host of the dinner that we can't forget. So this message is called Forgiving Like Jesus, but underneath that is this is the dinner that we're still talking about 2,000 years after it happened when you can't remember what you ate for dinner last night most of the time, nor can I. Part of what we're going to do is unpack the setting of where this dinner happened and then pull some lessons out of this. Here's the first lesson. Be careful about your assumptions. Be careful about your assumptions about other people and be careful about your assumptions about how Jesus should respond A Pharisee named Simon invited Jesus to have dinner with him at his home. At first glance, this seems simple enough, but there's so much more to this scene. Luke, the writer of the third gospel, drops a number of hints which add some of the flavor of the story. This dinner engagement occurs early in Jesus' public ministry. At this point, Jesus' popularity was growing, and opposition against him had not yet intensified. Curiosity about Jesus was running high in all the villages around Galilee, which was the province in Israel where Jesus had grown up and began his ministry. Luke tells us that a Roman centurion had demonstrated great faith in Jesus just before this. And then Jesus had interrupted a funeral procession to revive a dead boy. And then John the Baptist's disciples had come, in, come asking if Jesus is really the one that, that God was sending. During this whole period of time, Jesus had healed many, many sick people. And now this religious leader, a Pharisee, had invited Jesus over to his home for dinner. We're not completely sure why. and Did he have questions that he wanted to ask Jesus about some of these events? Were there questions about something that he had said? Or did he just want to be identified with this great and popular teacher and, and have uh, his social score rise by having Jesus come to his house? We don't quite know why. But we do know that the Pharisees were continually measuring Jesus against their own assumptions and traditions. And this seems like another of those scenarios where this takes place. Dinner would take place often in an open courtyard and the courtyard would be visible to all the neighbors. They didn't have kitchens in their homes in those days. It was safer to cook outside, to eat outside. Galilee wasn't high society. It was made up of mostly small working villages. And so a, a row of hedges perhaps surrounded the dining area which gave it a blend of privacy but also relative openness. It was expected that the neighbors would look in and they would know your business and you would know their business. And so there were two sets of expectations that were going on as this dinner began. Simon's expectation seems to have been something about prestige. Word had leaked out that Jesus, who everyone was talking about, was coming to his home. By hosting Jesus, Simon assumed that his own social status would move up a notch. But was Simon really interested in what Jesus would have to say? Jesus came with one very simple, basic expectation of courtesy. He traveled in a hot climate with dusty streets, trod with sandals. It was customary when a guest would come to your home that you would offer them water and some kind of minty gel or body oil to freshen up. And with guests of honor, it was customary to hire a servant to wash their feet or even for the host to do this for his guests. Simon did none of these things and was about to have his assumptions completely overturned. He assumed that his track record in life had made him right with God and he assumed that all who would not match up to his religious efforts didn't measure up with God either. So Simon was getting a lesson here, first of all, about assumptions. And he was learning not to assume more than he should. Here's the second lesson we learned from this scenario. We need to learn to read the room with redemptive vision. Learn to read the room with redemptive vision. Without fanfare or invitation, a woman crashes this particular dinner party. She had learned, like the rest of the village, that Jesus was coming, and she just had to be there. Luke describes her this way, that she was someone who had lived a sinful lifestyle. This was a very discreet way of Luke telling us that she was a local prostitute. She'd lived what was considered to be a sinful life in that town. She was known. In fact, everyone knew who she was. She was, if you want to put it this way, too hot for church. Her very presence would cause reactions because the way she dressed, the way that she smelled with this powerful perfume that was her calling card for her line of work. She was a little bit too hot for church. And she quietly caused a scene. At first, she simply stood behind Jesus, noticing probably standing with some other neighbors who were looking through the hedges at this dinner party going on in the courtyard. and But she was weeping at the same time. She noticed something that was unsettling. Jesus had not been received in the way that a guest of honor should be received. His feet hadn't been washed. This would have been extremely obvious because uh, back in those days, they sat on pillows on the ground and their feet would be out behind them and there was a small low table where... The dinner would be. They didn't sit in high chairs like we do or a high bar stool. And it was obvious that something was wrong. And she quietly moved from the shadows of the courtyard into the center of the action. Luke's writing adds into this a mix of increasing levels of intimacy. The first was the act of touching. Touching often implies some greater kind of intimacy, of familiarity, and then this woman's actions move through these five levels of intimacy. First, she kneels down by Jesus' feet. Second, she wept over his feet, allowing her tears to fall onto his feet, washing his feet with her tears. Third, she dried his feet with her hair. This is very personal. And fourth, she she moved this alabaster jar of perfume from a chain around her neck, which meant that it probably hung right about here. And she pulled that out. Again, there's a, there's a level of tremendous uh, warmth of gesture, but intimacy of action. And she took out this expensive perfume, which would have been one of the tools of her trade, and she she broke the top of the flask and poured it out on Jesus' feet. This is an expensive act. This is... It's just filled with generosity. And the aroma immediately would have changed the room because it filled the air, bringing everyone's eyes to Jesus. What would he do? How would he respond? How would he acknowledge her? And then she started kissing his feet and continued to kiss his feet. Make no mistake, this was one very intimate scene. And Simon is taking all of this in from across the table. And he's absolutely unglued and coming apart at the seams, wondering how Jesus could allow all of this to happen in the open. Simon could have learned from this moment, but he failed to read the room. He failed to see what was happening in the heart of this woman, and he also failed to see the reaction of Jesus toward her. Why? There's a huge contrast that goes on here between the actions of Jesus and the actions of Simon. Simon's judgmental bias got in the way. It kept him from seeing the way that this woman was honoring Jesus when he himself had not honored Jesus. It's hot today. Imagine if a few people in beach clothes with maybe just a thin, loose covering walked into our service. They'd heard about our service. Maybe you even invited them, and they're on their way to the beach. What better place to spend a 92-degree a day? And they're a little bit too hot for church and the way they're dressed. How would you and I respond? Would we respond like Simon? Would we immediately begin to give them the hairy eyeball that says, you're not in church clothes here today? And Maybe you don't really belong here. Would we read with a redemptive vision in a way that says, oh, something else is going on here? Somebody drawn to a place of learning, somebody who needs to connect with Jesus and, and they're in our presence. In every age, there's a different way that we need to see this and apply this through the lens of our current context. Here's the way it was seen a number of years ago. This is a painting from the school of Paolo Cagliari in Italy in the 16th century. And I don't know if you notice, but way over here on your left, Jesus is sitting across the table, and directly across from him is Simon, the man in the dark clothes. So we have Jesus in white, and we have uh, Simon in, in these dark forbidding clothes, but down at the floor by Jesus' feet is this woman who is anointing his feet. And kissing his feet. I get the sense that in her mind, she is so low at the base of the table that she doesn't want to be seen by anybody, at least in the way that this Italian artist saw this uh, several hundred years ago. But her focus is completely on taking care of Jesus. Look at where Jesus' eyes are. He's looking across at Simon, as if to say, Simon, do you see what's really happening here? At least this is the way that one artist captured this a number of years ago. At this point, Jesus read the hearts of both Simon and the woman. And Luke does a masterful job of bringing us into the depth of this story. Simon expected that Jesus would have nothing to do with this person. And Jesus could read the judgment that was pouring out of Simon at this moment. Simon thought, if Jesus was really a prophet, he would not even let a person like this touch him. Doesn't he know who she is? Pharisees wouldn't even look at a woman on the street who was not part of their own family. And in that moment, he judged and measured Jesus according to his own traditions. And Jesus also read the heart of this woman, who's never named. We, we don't know that she ever shows up again in Scripture. But she's still there kissing his feet. He saw that she fully recognized who he was. That he was the Messiah, the Savior. He saw, heard, and felt her contrition, which is one of the features of worship. And the scene reveals how ready Jesus was to forgive while Simon was ready to judge. Jesus didn't expect transformation before conversion. He was allowing this moment to happen and knowing that God would take care of all of the other changes that would need to happen down the road. Sometimes, this is the mistake that conservative Christians can often make. People who've been part of every church background I've been a part of in my life. We can expect all of the trappings of transformation to have happened before people are welcomed into the presence, and we've got to turn that around if we're going to meet a mixed and and confused world, the the truth is that our culture is not much different from what we were seeing in Jesus' day. If Simon had read the room with redemptive vision, he would have been deeply moved by what was going on rather than offended. Here's the big idea for this morning. When we understand Jesus' redemptive mission, we are filled with gratitude. And those who don't, that is those who don't understand, are not. Here's the third uh, lesson that we learn. Get ready for a teachable moment every time Jesus is in the room. The truth is, we are so capable of getting things wrong and not seeing with his kind of vision. And Jesus was the master at seizing an opportunity to create lasting impact. This became a teachable moment. He healed in a synagogue on the Sabbath to reveal that he's the Lord of the Sabbath. During Passover season, when people were remembering how God used Moses to provide manna, remember the manna, the bread from heaven, in the desert, Jesus then fed 5,000 people with a few small loaves of bread. He changed water into wine at a wedding. He rode a donkey into Jerusalem just days before going to the cross. And here's another teachable moment. So Jesus tells Simon, Simon I have a story for you. And he tells this parable of two debtors. It's a simple story with four features designed for impact. The first feature was there's a gap in the amount that was owed by these two debtors. One owed about a year and a half's salary or income and the other owed about two months' salary. The second feature is that neither person could pay the money lender back. The third feature Move, or the third feature of the story is that both debts are immediately cancelled by the money lender. This is really what happens with forgiveness. A debt is cancelled and the lender assumes the debt himself. It costs the one who forgives. And then in the fourth feature Jesus asks a question. He says, which one will love him more? I think Simon the Pharisee wanted to withdraw his invitation right there. He had to feel like he was completely exposed and on the spot. Simon was trapped. He he knew by human nature that the person who had the largest debt forgiven would be more grateful and would love more. People who fully understand their debt to someone else and knowing that it is canceled and forgiven are naturally grateful. Tim Keller puts it this way. God's grace and forgiveness, while free to the recipient, are always costly for the giver. From the earliest parts of the Bible, it was understood that God could not forgive without a sacrifice. No one who is seriously wronged can just forgive the perpetrator. But when you forgive, that means you absorb the loss and the debt. You bear it yourself. And then he ends that thought with this. All forgiveness then is costly. We forget that sometimes. We forget the cost that Jesus bears in forgiving. When we understand Jesus' redemption and his redemptive mission, we become filled with gratitude. But those who don't understand are not. And then here's the fourth wave of this particular scene. The redemptive nature of Jesus reveals his authority to forgive sins. Let me read a a section of this part of the story. Jesus, in verse 44, turns to the woman and says to Simon, do you see this woman? He begins to make a statement in comparison. He says, I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. And then here's what I want you to see. He says, Therefore I tell you, her many sins are forgiven, as her great love has shown. But whoever has been forgiven little loves little. Then Jesus said to her, Your sins are forgiven. The other guests began to say among themselves, Who is this who even forgives sins? And Jesus said to the woman, Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Look at the closing dialogue here between Jesus and Simon. This is a very personal conversation that Jesus has with Simon. Even in his rebuke, I believe Jesus was being redemptive to the core. Jesus had come to pay the cost for redeeming broken people from the trap of their sinfulness. The weeping woman had understood what Simon was too blind to see. The point was that Simon was so busy measuring Jesus and the weeping woman by his own standards, that he failed to see that God's Redeemer had come into his own home, hopefully to to bring redemption there too. The woman's acts of love reveal that she embraced Jesus as the one who redeems us from our sin. And so Jesus speaks to her in the language of redemption. He says, your sins are forgiven. Oh, wouldn't it be awesome to hear Jesus say that? personally to any one of us. We, we know the stuff we carry. We know the stuff that causes shame that's way in the background. We know the stuff that we've wrestled with this week. Wouldn't it be awesome to walk into church and have Jesus show up and just say, your sins are forgiven. And this woman hears those words and she walks away free. Simon's lack of love revealed that he didn't see Jesus as the Redeemer or himself as one who needed to be redeemed. That's probably the greater problem. The guests begin to murmur. They're more of Simon's mindset. Who is this who even forgives sins? Up to this point, Simon and perhaps his friends and perhaps his neighbors assumed that they didn't need forgiveness. Jesus came to a world that often assumes that people don't need forgiveness a Redeemer, when they really do. That's our world. This is what happens when we dilute the gospel and assume that God grades on a curve and the sinners are all the people who are below where we are. As long as we're above the curve, we're okay. That dangerous assumption is that we're okay on our own. And Jesus was letting Simon know that his assumption was an act of false judgment. He had misperceived what was going on with the woman who crashed the dinner party, and he had misperceived the condition of his own soul. Luke never tells us how the dinner party broke up. But I hope that this was Simon the Pharisee's come-to-Jesus moment. Simon was the borrower in the story who loved little. He needed to learn from the response of the heavily perfumed prostitute. And this is the real danger for us today. As our culture shifts, it becomes really easy for us to assume that our relatively moral behavior makes us better in God's eyes than those who embrace what may be seen as the greater sins of our time or the more popular sins of our time. Instead, we need to be people who so greatly embrace the redemptive mission of Jesus that we see ourselves as those who have been redeemed in such a costly way that this compels us to adopt the posture of the Redeemer toward others. And the more we see ourselves as redeemed, the more we find ourselves naturally forgiving other people too or accepting where they start. When we understand Jesus' redemptive mission, we are filled with gratitude as opposed to judgment. But those who fail to understand are never filled with that gratitude at all. This story is a warning and an invitation all at the same time. So I have some concluding questions here. The first is, have you assumed that you're morally okay on your own? If so, you're in the same spot that Simon has been in, and this becomes a wake-up call. My second question is, as Jesus reveals your sin in life, will you allow him to fill you with deep gratitude, knowing that he forgives our sins as often as we turn toward We ought to be people who are marked by great gratitude because we live in a very sinful age. Third question is, if you struggle with this particular story and this particular parable that Jesus told, will you allow Jesus to shift you from a judgmental posture toward a more redemptive one? He wants to move us from being judgmental to being redemptive where we see people rather than being locked and trapped in their sins as being people who are ready for Jesus to break through I wonder if you would um, pray with me as we wrap this up this morning I, I wrote a prayer that I put in the notes that you have and it's going to pop up, pop up behind us but it's asking God to apply these thoughts from this contrast that we've looked at to our lives let's do this together Lord, fill us with a clear assessment of our own self-deception, with the deepest forms of gratitude for your redemptive grace, and lead us to a posture that forgives like Jesus. Amen. And God, I ask that as we go out into our world in this week, that you'll help us to apply these lessons, give us redemptive eyes through which to look at the world and an understanding of your mission and your gospel that empowers us to extend your grace outward in Jesus' name.